0: Uh, just set aside our studies in Thessalonians for a week or two. Uh, I thought, just with Easter coming up and holidays and all the rest, we'd we'll just delay for a little bit till we get the majority of our folks back for after the holiday season. But we're going to look tonight in Leviticus chapter 1. It is, of course, the Easter week, and we're pushing toward uh, Easter Sunday when we celebrate especially the resurrection. We, of course, celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. Uh, not just on Easter Sunday. That's the whole purpose of our gathering on the first day of the week is to remember that we serve a risen Lord. But uh, tonight I want to look at Leviticus chapter 1 and then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to think tonight about the offering of Christ this, uh, this night as we, uh, as we head toward that Easter weekend. I thought it would be uh, useful for us uh, and indeed Uh, It would be a blessing to us to spend some time thinking about the cross uh, this Wednesday evening. In Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, And the Lord called unto Moses, and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd, and of the flock, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a meal without blemish. he shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, and he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him, and he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests. Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savour unto the Lord. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, if you will, in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, And not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the commerce thereon too perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever Sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected for ever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, "This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days," saith the Lord, "I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more." We trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Well, we began tonight reading in the book of Leviticus, and Leviticus is one of those books, isn't it? It's one uh, to be avoided, I think, for some people, and you say, well, why? Well, for a start, it's probably not the most interesting read in your Bible. It's not a narrative. It's not telling the, the story of a life or something like that. You open it up, and you find many strange ceremonies and sacrifices, many odd restrictions and dietary laws and various other difficulties, uh, which all seem to be uh, somewhat meaningless, even a little banal uh, to the Gentile mind, and yet God in his wisdom has placed the book of Leviticus at the very heart of the Pentateuch. Isn't that interesting? The book that most men struggle with uh, of the first five books of the Bible is the book at the heart of the law, and man has always had his greatest difficulties with the law of God. Now Leviticus as a book concerns itself with holiness, with God's holiness and the need for those who follow the Lord to be holy uh, if they're going to approach unto God and at, at the heart of that approach is the sacrificial system and so this book opens by detailing the five principal offerings of the Old Testament law. These are the burnt offering, the meal or the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering and the trespass offering. Now, we began tonight by reading the details of the first of those, the burnt offering, uh, but each of these offerings in turn teach us something about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his person, and about his work. And so I want to just give you a, a very quick summation uh, of those offerings, and we're not going to get, to get into detail on that tonight. That's not my purpose this evening. Maybe in the will of God uh, we will uh, look at these offerings separately in a midweek meeting sometime. But I want to think about this burnt offering. The burnt offering was always to be of a male animal, of a ram, a goat, a bullock, a turtle dove, A pigeon, uh, and it had to be without blemish. Now, except in the case of the fowl, the worshipper would place his hands on the animal that he was sacrificing to show that this uh, sacrifice was for his own sins, it was for his own shortcomings. And the burnt offering symbolized in the entire surrender uh, of the repentant sinner to God. Therefore, the whole animal, except for the skin, uh, was, uh, offered, uh, was offered to God. The skin went to the priest. The rest of the, an- the, rest of the offering was burnt up. It was left to smolder uh, overnight uh, into ashes. The ashes would be removed in the morning. And the blood of the animal was sprinkled on the corners of the altar, as we've just read, as a further sign that the life of the animal was given in death uh, and had been dedicated to God. So the burnt offering formed the daily and morning offering service in the tabernacle. Then if you were to move on into chapter 2 of Leviticus, we're not going to take the time to read it tonight, you would come to the meal offering or the grain offering. And this offering was unique among the five major offerings uh, of Leviticus. Leviticus in that it was the only offering that did not involve the shedding of blood. Now, all these offerings teach us something about Christ, and this offering is no different. So, seeing that it's an offering without blood, it is clearly not speaking to us about his death, but rather it's an offering that speaks to us about his life. It speaks to us of Christ as the perfect man, as God's man. And uh, it consisted of fine flour, plus oil, plus the spice of frankincense. And uh, it was without leaven or honey. You weren't allowed to put either leaven or honey into this uh, into this admixture. And so the whole lot was then baked. It could be baked in an oven. It could be baked in an open pan or a griddle. It could be baked on a frying pan. And then it was apportioned. A portion was burnt on the altar. That's God's portion. The worshipper took a handful home with him. And a portion went to the priests, symbolizing their corporate possession. And then the third offering is the peace offering. Now, this offering comes to us in many guises in Scripture. Sometimes it's called a thank offering. Sometimes it's called a fellowship offering. Sometimes a praise offering. Sometimes a voluntary or free will offering. We use that term today, don't we? A free will offering. I remember a preacher one time. Uh, who offered uh, some books for sale. In fact, I was with him, and he offered some books for sale. And uh, he said to the congregation, um, you know, if you can't afford to pay for these books, you know, you you can just, you know, take whatever you will. But if you can, give a free will offering uh, for them. But he says, if you can't afford it, just take whatever books you need. Well, one fellow came along, and he cleared the whole table. He took every book. I mean, literally every single book. And the preacher afterwards says to me, Well, that was a free will offering. He says there was plenty of free, but not much will. <laughs> and so that's not the idea, obviously. Uh, but sometimes the peace offering is called a free will offering. And and you can read about it in the third chapter of Leviticus, which uh, tells us how the peace offering or the free will offering was to be approached. It involved uh, sacrificing an animal from the herd of the flock. It could have been a bull or a cow, a sheep or a goat. And the key thing was that it was a whole animal. It was a prize animal, an animal that was, in the words of Scripture, without blemish before the Lord. So the worshipper would approach the gate of the tabernacle. Again, he would place his hand upon the head of the animal. Its blood was then sprinkled upon the altar, and the animal was butchered. In this regard, the peace offering differed from the uh, previous two offerings. In the burnt offering, everything was given to God. Uh, But with the peace offering, the animal parts were divided up, and distributed between God, the priest, and the worshippers. So the inward parts were burnt upon the altar. This was God's portion. The breast and the right shoulder was given to the priest, and the rest was taken home by the worshipper to be consumed by his family and friends. So of the five offerings listed in Leviticus 1-5, the peace offering is the third. In other words, the other two sit each side of it. What does that tell you? It tells you that the peace uh, that our peace with God and of our celebration of it is at the heart of all that Christ did. Christ went to the cross so that He could make peace for us with God, and so then we come to the sin offering. And uh, every offering that you read, if you read through Leviticus chapters one to five, every offering, every offering mentioned so far, is received and described as a sweet savor unto the Lord, even as we read in verse 9 of the opening chapter. But the sin offering differs in this respect, and the reason is in its name. Uh, God takes no pleasure in sin, and this offering portrays Christ as our sin-bearer. Not now is he marked out as the perfect son of God, uh, or the perfect man, the, the one who's completely pure and totally given over to his father's will, but now he becomes us. In this offering, he becomes us. He becomes you and me in all of our natural condition. He represents sinful man, and our sins become his sins. And then we come to the final offering of the five, the trespass offering. And unlike the sin offering, this addresses the issue of debts. If you look in Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 5, it says, uh, And it shall be... When he shall be guilty in one of these things, that he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing. So, in the trespass offering, uh, besides the life that was sacrificed, the priest took into evaluation the confession of the uh, worshipper, the wrong that was committed. Uh, if you read down the passage, he calculates a suitable level of compensation. He adds 20% uh, to that figure, and he pays the injured party in shekels. So if you've done somebody a wrong, and there's a financial debt as a consequence of that wrong, then that is calculated. 20% is attitude and compensation, and that is paid to the person who is wronged. So in the trespass offering, confession was made and restitution was paid for the wrong that was done. Now, the thought here is not as in the sin offering that the wrongdoer must be punished, but rather the wrong must be, uh, must be remedied and the wronged person repaid in some way. And this is true whether one wronged, the one wronged is God or man. You see, the sin offering covers the sin, but the trans- trespass offering cleanses the sin, and redresses the law, the law Sorry, made because of our sins. You know, uh, if you if you uh, go to court in our country, um, they often have a victim's levy, uh, which is is interesting. It's an interesting concept. It, you know, even if there's no victim in a crime, you still pay a victim's levy. You know, if there's no, nobody, even if nobody's injured or nobody was robbed. You still pay this victim's levy, but the money doesn't go to the victims. Guess who the money goes to? The government. And <laughs> it's just a way of the government to extract even more money from you uh, when they're fining you. But in the Bible, the, uh, they did have a victim's levy, and the levy went to the victim, as it ought to do. So we, we look at all of this and uh, we turn in our Bibles to, we don't need to turn there, but we look in Isaiah 53 and 10. It says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, speaking of Christ, he hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make, listen now, his soul an offering for sin. Now listen to what it said there. There's, there's five offerings here that in some way reflect upon the cross, the crucifixion of Christ. And we come to Isaiah He doesn't say there are five offerings of his soul, but an offering. He shall make his soul an offering, one offering for sin. And uh, here's how Hebrews puts it. But this man... After he had suffered one, after he had offered sorry one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God for by one offering he hath perfect perfected forever them that are sanctified so in Christ we find just one offering whereas in Leviticus there had been five offerings now this is where it gets it gets interesting and what i want you to consider tonight is the timing of these offerings, the timing of these offerings. You see, believers often argue at this time of year about which day of the week Jesus was crucified on. Now, of course, traditionally, uh, we mark Good Friday as the day of Christ's crucifixion, and that, of course, is something that was dictated by Catholicism. Uh, but, you know, anybody with very basic maths could work out that if Jesus was crucified on a Friday, you can't have three days and three nights. The sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man should be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So, you know, even if you, even if you count Friday as day one, you have then Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Who you, that could conceivably be three days if you count it that way. But you end up with only two nights, Friday night and Saturday night. So you run into problems if you say Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Uh, when I was at Bible school in, uh, at Grace Seminary, they, they covered this. I can tell you now, it's far more complex than I'm going to try and share with you tonight. I'm not even going to go into it. But um, the, the teacher, the lecturer, you know, started off by dismissing the notion that Christ was crucified on a Friday. And then he asked everybody, uh, you know, he began the class by asking how many people believe Jesus was crucified on a Friday and a handful put their hand up. And then he says, how many uh, believe Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday and everybody else but me put their hand up. And then he said, how many people believe Jesus was crucified on a Thursday and I put my hand up. And then he was amazed because he never met anybody that believed Jesus was crucified on a Thursday before. And he then went away and looked at it and he came back and said that the Thursday view was a Good view, um, but the Thursday view isn't without problems either. Nor indeed is the Wednesday view without problems, because you look at Wednesday, Jesus crucified on Wednesday. You know that that gives you um, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. It's four nights. So you know you're in trouble anyway you look at it. So it's and again I don't want to get into that tonight. You can go and research this. At your leisure, come back to me, and I'll recommend you a doctor who'll give you some antidepressant pills who'll help you with all of this. But it's very—it's very complex. It's you know—it's all to do with timings and the Jewish calendar and and so on, and how things are you know calculated and whatever you know within a within the context of that culture and so on. And and you know you've got to allow for. Uh, A Sabbath and a high Sabbath in the middle of it all. And, you know, it just gets, it just gets, your head is swimming, to be honest with you. So, after I studied all of this, I came to the conclusion it doesn't matter. The main thing is that Jesus died. (laughs) Okay? And so I gave up trying to figure out whether it was Wednesday or Thursday. I've decided it wasn't Friday. But, uh, you know, if you believe it's Wednesday, the Lord bless you. If you believe it's Thursday, the Lord bless you. If you believe it's Friday, the Lord bless you. Uh, You know, I'm not going to argue with you about it. Uh, As long as you believe that Christ died, that's the main thing, okay? But, you know, what is interesting is that when you come to the Gospels uh, and you look at the, the account of the crucifixion, nothing much is really said about which day of the week Jesus died on. You say, well, he died at Passover. Even that's difficult because there were different times in which different Jews celebrated Passover during that week. So even that isn't as clear-cut as you might hope it would be. Um, so, you know, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it as far as the day of the week. But what is interesting is the Gospel writers each say something about the time of the day. And you think, well, why do they keep telling us the time Of the day. It's like they're standing there going. Well it's six o'clock. It's nine o'clock. It's twelve o'clock. It's three o'clock. And they keep telling you. This is the event. And this is the time. And what they're showing us. In effect is this. That Jesus. Though he is one offering for sin forever. Covers. Those five offerings. That are pictorial of him in the book of Leviticus. So let's see this as we go. And let's think about the burnt offering. The burnt offering formed the daily morning service. Look in John's Gospel, chapter 19. John's Gospel, chapter 19. And verse 13. John's Gospel, chapter 19 and verse 13. It says, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And notice, and John says, and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, behold your king. But they cried, away with him, away with him crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. Now when John says it was about the sixth hour, he's not using the Jewish chronology, he's referencing Roman time. In other words, it was 6 a.m. Our time, if it had been the sixth hour, Jewish time, you know that would have made it either midnight or noon. But obviously, the Lord wasn't tried at midnight, and He was already on the cross by noon. So clearly, that's not what John is talking about. So he's using the Roman time, and it's six a.m. in the morning. And uh, this is significant because the burnt sacrifice was offered at six a.m. in the morning. So as Jesus comes before. Pilate, out there in Jerusalem, they are offering the burnt, sac- the burnt, sac- burnt offering at the uh, at the at the temple. And that offering was all for God. In that respect, it was significant for it portrays the Savior as one who was all for God, who was obedient unto death totally surrendered to his Father's will, even if that included the death of the cross. So the animal offered, remember, had to be perfect. It had to be without spot. It had to be without blemish. Even its inward parts are inspected to ensure there was no disease or imperfection. So on the day of the crucifixion, what was happening to Jesus at 6 a.m. in the morning as the burnt offering was being prepared and sacrificed In the temple. Well, he was standing before the Roman governor Pilate and he was being examined. His life was being put under the spotlight so that Pilate says to the baying crowd, I find no fault in this man. And he declares him, without any knowledge of the sacrificial system as far as we know, he declares him to be sinless, to be perfect, to be without spot to be without blemish. Later he says, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. I, having examined him before you. He says, I've looked at him. He's without spot. He says, I find no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. And again, I have found no cause of death in him. So, Jesus was our burnt offering. Inside and outside, he was without fault. He was without flaw. Totally surrendered unto God. Totally committed to his Father's will. Absolutely prepared to die at his bidding. Now, in Jewish tradition, the meal offering then was offered three hours later. At 9 a.m. Look at Mark now, Mark's Gospel and chapter 15. So we've had the witness of John, let's look at the witness of Mark. Mark chapter 15 and verse 21. So Pilate has now examined him, they have put They've sent him out, put his own clothes on him, they've led him out to be crucified. Verse 21, they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him onto the place Golgotha, which is, being interpreted, the place of a skull. And they give him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And notice, Mark tells us the time. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Now, Mark is using the Jewish clock. And the third hour, with the Jewish day beginning, uh, daytime beginning at six o'clock in the morning, it, it indicates to us that it's now nine a.m., the time of the meal of. Offering. Now remember, this is an offering that speaks about the Savior's life. It speaks about Jesus as the perfect man. And so uh, when speaking about the, the flour, Leviticus specifies that it has to be fine flour. And uh, flour, even in our day, flour comes in different grades. If you go down the flour aisle at Tesco, they don't just have flour. They have all kinds of flour according to what you wish to bake. And so the flour of this offering was such that it would pass easily through a sieve. Now, when you think about the work of a sieve, it agitates the flour, and the fine flour uh, filters through it, and any lumps or any irregularities are caught in the sieve. Now, here's the difference between us and the Lord Jesus Christ. When life puts us through a sieve, very often we're frustrated, we're ill-tempered, we're discovered to be coarse, there's, you know, our our, uh, annoyances immediately come to light. Uh, how we respond to provocation in this life is often a test of our character and the fineness of our character. How you react when someone treats you unfairly or unjustly or somebody addresses you aggressively or swears at you. You know, I don't know about you, but if somebody swears at me, there, there's a missed sins. I don't know why. They, they, could, they could say anything. They could call me anything, but as soon as they use any kind of foul language... A mist descends, <laughs> the red mist. You know what I'm talking about, and and you're immediately angry. Like, how, how does he think? this person is? They can use this language uh, to me. Um, but you know, you look at what the Lord Jesus faced, and the, and having been subject to the abuse uh, of of the soldiers, the mockery of uh, of the soldiers and of Pilate himself, the injustice of the Sanhedrin. And he comes through that sieve, as it were, and he passes that test with great grace. Even when he's on the cross at the outset of the day, you remember what happened? The thieves joined in the mocking of him. They mocked him. But then, of course, later this one thief changed his mind. And, uh, you know what, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, even if I had, if I had been there, if I would have been, you know, in the Lord's place, thankfully I... I, I, that was never going to happen but if I had been in the Lord's place when the other fellow changed his mind I'd have, I'd have just told him where to go I said oh you're not coming to me now not after you spent the last few hours mocking me forget it you're going to hell <laughs> you know I wouldn't I, would, uh, I wouldn't have, have shown him any grace whatsoever but what does the Lord do he comes through with flying colours he says this day shalt thou be with me in paradise he forgives him you know, in that offering, oil was added to the flour, as was frankincense. Oil is a, a well-known symbol of the Holy Spirit. Frankincense was a space used in priestly duties. Its presence in the offering points to Jesus as the perfect priest. And you see, every priest who ever ministered had to deal with the issue of his own sin. Uh, and, of course, that's, that's what you see in Catholicism in the Mass. The priest stands up and he holds up his little wafer and he asks God to accept this sacrifice on behalf of himself and of the people. He's replicating what essentially the priests of old did under the Jewish law. But the Lord Jesus doesn't have to do that. Uh, he. He, he's offering himself not for his own sins uh, but for our sins and, and being the perfect man he has no sins of his own so he was in every sense the perfect offering for sin no leaven was to be added and no honey was to be added you know I find that interesting leaven is a picture of sin in your Bible Paul says so a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump he's talking about sin and, uh, you know, there's no leaven in the Lord Jesus. Why is there no honey? Why is there nothing sweet? Well, the absence of honey highlights that, uh, this, the, the self sacrificial nature of the Spirit of Christ. He's not interested in please, pleasing his own natural desires. But in pleasing his father. So this offering represents the Lord, bef- uh, presents the Lord before us as one who embodied the perfect life, who is energized by the Spirit of God. Now remember, listen now, it had to be baked three different ways. It could be baked in an oven. It could be baked in an open pan or griddle. It could be baked in a frying pan. Each form of baking says something about the suffering of Christ. You know, oven cooking takes the longest of the three means uh, mentioned. So here we see the sorrows of the Lord as they are as they're building up through the Passion Week uh, until ultimately He comes into uh, Gethsemane. The open pan speaks of His open shame; He's laid bare for all to see in His suffering. And finally, there's the frying pan; He's put under the fierce wrath. Of Almighty God. And you notice with each cooking method, the intensity increases, but the cooking time decreases. So, in the six hours that Jesus was on the cross, he was in the frying pan of suffering. By 9 a.m., the Roman trials were ended, and having been declared innocent and faultless, Jesus was led to the cross to be crucified. So this was done in part for God himself. Remember the this offering, this sacrifice went three ways. It was done in part for God himself. It was the Father's will. In part for each individual. He gave himself for you and me. And in part for the church as a whole. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's why Mark says it was the third hour. Now, now let's turn to the Gospel of Luke and see what Luke has to say in Luke chapter 23. You see, we come to the third offering, the central offering, the peace offering. And the peace offering, well, it was made at noon. Luke chapter 23 and verse 4. Here's the Lord showing immense grace to this uh, repentant thief. In verse 4, Luke records, and it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So, by now, the Lord Jesus has been on the cross. Three hours. And what happens? There's darkness over the face of the earth, as Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross. He has made sin for us so that we could have peace with God. And the sin that separated us, that was a matter of conflict between ourselves and God, had to be dealt with. And so it was that Jesus took our place on the cross. But remember, this is a free will offering. What did the Lord Jesus say? He said, No man taketh it, taketh my life from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father, John ten and eighteen. So this was a free will offering. He's freely giving himself to the cross, and Luke marks the time as midday. At that moment in which in the in the Jewish Uh, chronology. They are marking the peace offering as part of their everyday sacrifices. Christ is our peace offering. Okay, so at 3.30 under the Old Testament law, the sin offering was offered. Let's look in Matthew now. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Isn't it interesting, you know, here we are as Christians and we argue and argue and argue about things that the Bible doesn't really give us a lot of insight into. And we argue about the day of the crucifixion and we're missing the timings. And notice now in verse 46, verse 45, again, John agrees with Luke concerning the sixth hour and the darkness over all the land. Verse 46, and about the ninth hour, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So the key moment in the sin offering of the sacrificial beast is in the definite and deliberate placing of the hand upon its head just before death. And by that act, the offerer was completely identifying himself and his sin with the sacrificial beast and all that was to become of that animal. He was saying, in effect, this animal is going to die in my place. This goat, this lamb, this bullock is going to die in my place. It represents me as a sinner Before God. So he's identifying with the blood that is about to be shed. And that blood is then taken to the very threshold of God's presence and sprinkled seven times before the Lord. On the day of atonement is taken across the threshold and sprinkled on the very mercy seat over which God's presence dwelt. Now Jesus is not viewed in this offering as a sweet savor unto the Lord, but having become sin for us, he is forsaken of his father. As he's obedient on the death, His death is a sweet savor unto the Lord. It's an act of obedience. But at this point, he's no longer viewed in that light. Uh, Listen to what the psalmist has him say in Psalm 40 and verse 12. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart faileth me. Now you think about putting those words in the mouth of the Lord Jesus, it just seems foreign to his character, to his person, to who he is, for him to say, for innumerable innumerable evils have compassed me about, mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. But here's what he did. He took our sin and he made it his. He sacrificed for us. He became us. Psalm 22 in verse 1 then is quoted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, he cries, It is finished. The work is done. Atonement has been made. Sin's awful price has been paid in full. There remains just one more offering then of the five of Leviticus, and that's the trespass offering that took place each evening at 6 p.m. Now, by 6 p.m., we know that Jesus is buried. He's already in his tomb. This uh, offering, you will recall, was about cleansing. It dealt with sins, the practice of sin, the, uh, and, the, and not the sin the principle. And the, the law required that full restoration be made for wrongs done to the one sinned against, and that it added the uh, aspect of restitution, a fine being paid, so that the victim of sin gained. So the Lord buried our sin with his own cold, lifeless body. But then he arose the third day. And that's why we are going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And the believer in that moment goes from one who is dominated by sin to one who in Christ may have dominion over sin. So when the Lord stepped out of that borrowed tomb, he had sealed our pardon with his blood. And he places the one who who has been at that point in debt before uh, as a consequence of his sin into a position of gain and victory over his sin and here's what I want you to see the day that Jesus died, he was sacrificed according to both Isaiah and Hebrews before God as one offering, and so he was, but in effect he was Five offerings in one. He was a burnt offering, a meal offering, a peace offering, a sin offering, and a trespass offering. His death upon the cross was perfect, wholesale, and complete once and for all. And by it we go free. Our sins are forgotten and our sins are are forgiven and that is the joy for the christian in the easter season well we'll leave it there for this evening and we'll go to our time of prayer